Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. We're excited to be joined on this episode by Anthony and Julia of Tis the Podcast. Gang, thanks for joining us. Please introduce yourselves and your show to our audience. I'm Julia. And I'm Anthony. And we are two of the elves of the three. Tom can't make it this recording session. Um, but we're two of the three elves from Tis the Podcast. We have a podcast. You may have heard of it. Um, where we, instead of doing all films ever, we just do Christmas movies and we do it year round. So we have a tagline, Anthony, you want to share it? We're determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive at the 365 days per year. Yay. Well, fantastic. Thank y'all for being here. And we're here to review a movie called Rare Exports, a Christmas tale starring Tommy Corpella, Per Christian Ellison, Yorma Tamila, Jonathan Hutchings, Ani Tomilia, Risto Salmi, Peter Jacoby, Rono Juvovin, and Ilamari Harvipa. Directed by Halamari Hellerlander. Released in 2010 on a budget of 1.8 million euros, grossed 3.5 million euros at the box office. And if you can't tell by that string of names that I just totally butchered, we are talking about a Finnish Semi-Christmas horror film. I don't know. It's currently available on Amazon. Ron, you came up with this along with our friends from Tid the Podcast. So what's the story on Rare Exports? Well, I was, as I was telling you off air, it was a movie that Netflix had heavily promoted a couple years ago as one of their big uh, Christmas offerings, their non-traditional Christmas offerings. And I was always interested in it, but I'd never actually watched it, much to my detriment. So when I went to the Tis the Podcast gang, I pitched them a couple of movies and I gave them a few options. And uh, the movie that uh, they ended up going with was this one. I'm sure they probably regret that now, but uh, that's what they picked. <laughs> or maybe Tom just picked that without consulting you guys. <laughs> I, I, I honestly was this discussed, Julia. I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, guys. So I honestly don't remember. It was Tom did not pull a fast one. Um, yeah, he asked us. I don't remember the other options. That's what's hilarious. I only remember this one because I was wanting to watch it. So I was like, yeah, let's do that one. Have <laughs> it's been on my list for a while. Yeah, the other options were were things like uh, Christmas Evil and Silent Night, Deadly Night. And I, I do remember that one on the list. <laughs> and uh, I think I, I pitched New Year's Evil because it's tangentially Christmas related, but not. Uh, right. And then, and then I gave the Rare Exports option as being the movie with the least amount of uncomfortable rape scenes, which I thought <laughs> would, would be a selling point, not expecting all of the uh, the finished penis. <laughs> I gotta say, I prefer the latter. <laughs> I, I think I'll join you on that, Julia. Uncomfortably enough, I'll, I'll say that yes, uh, I would rather do that too. Now this is this is fun. Like we have a tradition here on Filmstrip since Ron has joined the crew of picking like some random weird usually horrific Christmas film to do. It's usually our, our co-host Brian, who joins us, he couldn't be here with us tonight. But we've done stuff like Santa's Sleigh, but, you know, spelled like a sleigh oh. uh, with Bill Goldberg. We've done that one. Yeah, yeah. I know you guys have done that. We've done, oh gosh, what else have we done, Ron? Um, Jack Frost. There we go. We did Jack Frost. We actually did that twice, a little behind the scenes. We recorded it once and ended up like moving off of it. And then when Ron came on, we're like, no, we got to do that with him. Brian and I decided that, so we, Brian and I actually watched that twice. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> so yeah. So we, you know, look this this December on film strip. I mean, we had The Shining, and then we got the new Star Wars movie. And I was like, man, we got to do something like good and trashy to to balance that out. So uh, here we are. And uh, you know what though? I'll say just from the get go, not to point my hand too early. We we kind of avoided the trash bin. We just found something obscure and weird. That tends to be what Ron brings to the show almost all the time. So that's cool. 
that's that my, is exceptionally that's cool. <laughs> yeah. That's a great niche. Yeah. I am all for that niche. Yeah. Lots of fun. So now, had either of you had any connection to this before, Anthony and Julia? Well, I knew it from Netflix, like Ron was talking about earlier. Um, when they were heavily promoting it a few years back. I never actually watched it, though. I don't think I ever had a desire to watch it. <laughs> um, but I watched it for you guys. Hey. And I and I will say, I didn't hate this film. I will also say, you did a much better job of saying rattling off those Finnish names than I've any of the three of us would have done on our podcast. I Absolutely. practiced those at work during lunch all day today. So <laughs> I even had like a colleague in there listening to it. She's like, yeah, sounds pretty close. I was like, okay, so I'm going to go with that. So Yeah. So this movie, um, I think I've read about it a lot in those obscure blogs where they talk about Christmas movies. Are they or aren't they? And I think this one's always falls on that list. And those always intrigue me. So um, I was very happy to get the chance to watch this one because, again, it's been on my list for some time. It was absolutely nothing like what I expected from the blurb on <laughs> IMDb or wherever it was. Um, but I'll echo what Anthony said and wait for later to drill into it. I did not hate this movie. Yeah, I watched the trailer to this when Ron told me this was what we were going to do. I was like, okay. And I thought, okay, this seems interesting. What What is this, like an action movie? What's going on? And then, you know, it, it kind of reveals itself. And I, I immediately just in my head got a sense of, okay, I think I know what this movie is going to be. And then I watched it and realized how completely and totally wrong I was. And that's okay, because that's the fun part of doing this. But I had this whole in my mind, like, this is what this is going to be. And, like, I had one of the characters is, like, the father's going to become Santa Claus and the son's going to have to help him, but they're going to have to fight off, like, the Russians or something. Like, I had this whole <laughs> Red Dawn in Finland thing going on. Yeah, so you, were like, you were, like, going for the Santa Claus meets Red dawn exactly right <laughs> instead of santa claus meets a thing <laughs> yes and well and th then i thought at the end i was like wait a minute was that the pilot from the thing is that large the norwegian but we'll talk about him in a minute but i mean i, I didn't know and then i watched it and i'll tell you all how i watched this because knowing i had to, to watch it for the podcast I woke up one morning at like two o'clock in the morning, couldn't go back to sleep. And I was like, okay, fine. And I got up and I just put the television on and found it, watched it. And I remember sitting there and my wife at some point got up to see what I was doing. And she said, what are, what are you watching? And I told her back because I was only like five minutes into it. And she sat down on the couch with me and looked at it. And then when it all went to subtitles, that's when Rachel just checked out. She's like, is this not in English? I was like, well, it started that way. I don't know what about the rest of it. She's like, I'll see you later. And so I went back to bed. So I was left on my own to read the movie, as I called it. But, you know, I just kind of caught up with it. I don't watch a ton of that kind of thing, but but I can more or less follow it. So that's how I watched this. It was very early in the morning. And then I went to work. And had to kind of think about it all day and try to figure out what, what was I saw. And so anyway, I think before we get any further into it, it's time to do the film strip honor tradition of, of the plot summary. And Ron has not shared the plot summary with me, so I have no idea what he's about to say. But Ron, it is your floor to tell everybody what Rare Exports is all about. On top of a mountain in remote Lapland, an international company known as Sub-Zero is digging for something. What that something is will become perfectly clear in time after the group extracts a core sample revealing just what they've been looking for. The mountain isn't actually a peak, but an ancient burial mound containing the imprisoned being known as Santa Claus. Two local boys, Juso and Pitari, have been watching the group work from afar, and while Juso isn't a believer, Pitari knows that Santa is real, and that freeing him from his ice prison is a really bad idea. After all, this isn't the Smiling Father Christmas from the Coca-Cola ads, but a giant horned monster who flays bad children with a whip and boils them alive in cauldrons. Batari's <laughs> father, a reindeer slaughterer, <laughs> a reindeer slaughterer named Rano, wakes Batari up the next day to get him ready for their annual trapping of reindeer. But only two scrawny deer show up. The others, having a, after a long snowmobile ride, are revealed to have been attacked and brutally slaughtered, leaving behind a mess of rotten meat and eighty-five thousand dollars in profits down the drain, plus vat. Rauno, Imo, and Piparnin blame wolves, driven mad by Sub-Zero's mining operations, and the three, plus Patari and Juso, 
decided to cross the border, head up to Sub-Zero's camp, and get a little financial compensation for their loss. They found an abandoned cave, an abandoned camp in a deep pit. Christmas is going to be a little lean this year for Patara and Rauno. However, the next morning, Rauno's wolf trap has succeeded, but not in trapping a wolf. The trap captures a scrawny old man who seems too tough to die despite being left naked out in the elements for a whole night. Meanwhile, things in town are starting to get a little weird, too. Children are disappearing, along with furnaces, ovens, heaters, radiators, and even hair dryers. And that old man? Turns out he's a dangerous lunatic, biting off Piparnin's ear like a piece of gingerbread and breaking a steel bar. He's also really into the idea of attacking Piatari. Surely that scrawny old man is the Santa Claus that so many people died searching for. After some investigation and a long-distance phone call, the Fens have decided to give the Sub-Zero company what they're looking for. They arrange a meeting with Riley. Santa in tow only found out that the man isn't Santa, but one of Santa's elves, and that they must not misbehave because Santa hates that sort of thing. Then one of the geniuses drops a curse word, and the whole group is attacked by furious, naked, dong-swinging elves. <laughs> <laughs> Riley and the helicopter pilot are killed, and the remaining Finns shelter in the giant hangar where, to everyone's shock, the elves have set up the stolen heaters to thaw Santa from his ice prison, and the children are neatly bagged at his feet, waiting for judgment. Thankfully, Thankfully, Picari has a plan. Uh, Peepernin distracts the elves with gingerbread, sneaking to Riley's waiting helicopter. The bagged children and Picari are scooped up in a net and used as bait to draw the elves away, while Imo and Rauno rig up dynamite to Santa's ice prison. The elves are lured to an electrified reindeer pin, and Piatari prepares to make the ultimate sacrifice, capturing the elves. However, as he's almost overwhelmed, Rauno and, Al- Rauno and Imo detonate the explosives, killing Santa and stopping the assault of naked, filthy elf hobos. Disaster is averted. <laughs> Smash cut to a few days after Christmas, and the elves are in the shower, getting hosed down and decontaminated. A few more days later, and they're in white jumpsuits, putting an end to the Finnish reindeer sausage party. After some training and careful consideration, the reindeer farmers and Sub-Zero have gone into business together, exporting real Finnish Santa Clauses, or Santa's Claus, to use the proper pluralization, around the world as the titular rare exports. <laughs> well done. Well done. Think I, I have uh, <laughs> I have so many questions <laughs> to the end of that, and uh, that's what the rest of this show is for. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I will say this for anybody that may be curious after hearing all that, like, man, I gotta see that or whatever. I will tell you, it's only it's listed as an hour and twenty minutes long. It's only like an hour and fifteen, honestly. So you really don't have to invest an incredible amount of time. I mean, I was back in bed in time to you know catch a quick nap before work and then think about this all day again. And I don't recommend that, though, by the way, because you will dream weird things about <laughs> horns and ice and stuff like that. But anyway, um, yeah, this whole thing starts off in such an abrupt way. And I don't I don't have any proof of this because I didn't get to look it up deeply enough. So maybe one of you can tell me what you think. I feel like whoever financed this with their 1.8 million euros told the the filmmakers ultimately, you got to put like people speaking English in the beginning of this to at least set the scene so that there's some way an international audience can hook in, especially people in America. And so they got what I can only describe as sort of the German from Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, playing not John Hammond from Jurassic Park and a digger <laughs> to have this like argument about don't be naughty or break any of Santa's rules while you dig him up out of the ice prison that these people put him in. Am I, am I saying that right? Is that what happens in this movie? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and, <laughs> and it was a weird start to the movie. <laughs> I knew immediately what kind of film I was in for. <laughs> I think part of that's in the trailer, too, which led me to believe, like, oh, man, it's going to be an action movie. And no, it is not. (laughs) (laughs) But it's got, like, the whole action, like, two cut, and they've got the, you know, thumping music. And I'm like, this is like a lethal weapon movie? What's going on here? (laughs) Well, it's it's funny because the movie actually is a a co-production of basically 
every Nordic country plus France. So maybe <laughs> English is like the only language they all could understand in common. Cause like it's financed mostly by a Finnish company, then a Norwegian company is involved. And then, uh, two more film companies, uh, from Sweden and France got involved. And then the Finnish Film Foundation, the Norwegian Film Institute, and a thing called Film, Film Pool Nord, which sounds like a rejected Deadpool character, all also <laughs> like pitched money in. So they basically took a short, a uh, couple of short films, went to the guy and said, Hey, make a feature film. Here's bags full of euros, and he he did it. Yeah, he did. He pulled it off, and I'll say that. And just you know, if people are wondering, we're joking about the euros. I mean, it's about two million bucks, made about four or so, and yeah, all uh, told, and in the U.S. about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Which for an independent film that nobody knows anything about and absolutely has no way to reach like mass audiences, bravo! That's not a bad deal. Wait, you said it was two and made four? Yeah, I mean they do- yeah. They doubled their, uh, they made their money back and then doubled it. Like, that's a success. Oh, yeah, I mean, the guy got another gig. He did a Samuel L. Jackson movie after this. So, you know, clearly Which he's moving again. I, I, it's called Bag Check. Or, no, that's not it. Um, I forget what it was now. Now, now that I've said it, I'm going to have to look it up. So hold on. Um, cause it's going to bother me. Oh, he was, he directed a movie called Big Game with Samuel L. Jackson, which I've never seen, but I can only imagine is, you know, funny and you, the usual Samuel L. Jackson action fair, but he got that because he made this and it made money. So, you know. And I mean, let's, uh, let's be honest. It's not, it's not like the movies is incompetent. It's, it's pretty well made. Oh, it is. It, it, and I can say, because we cover a lot of these, a lot of crappy movies on just the podcast, as anyone who listens to our show would know, they could be an hour 15, an hour 20 minutes, and the really crappy ones <laughs> will feel twice that length. Yes. This one, however, yes. was a fast hour and 15. I'll give it that. Like, it went fast for me. And that right there speaks to the quality for me, because, uh, Compared to Jack Frost, which is another short movie, which it, it I doesn't feel stand. like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think that Anthony is talking about the Jack Frost with Michael Keaton. Am I correct? <laughs> you are. Incorrect. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, we should we should clear about, up. Okay, We're talking cool. about the bad horror movie, Chain of Elizabeth, sort of. Which one were you talking about earlier? The Chain we of Elizabeth. We were talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's the one. We have not covered the Michael Keaton one yet. Oh, okay. Okay. So we, we both have lived that, that hell together. Yes. At the same time. So. Yes. We get introduced to these, again, these two people having this discussion in this mine shaft trailer or something like that. And again, I feel like I'm in Jurassic Park knockoff land. And, yeah. and that's not a bad thing, but I, I mean, I feel like I'm watching like an asylum Jurassic Park, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, or you know something on the Sci-Fi Network. I keep waiting for Debbie Gibson to come through the scene because then I'll know I'm in one of those movies. But yeah, but it cuts immediately to the, these two kids, and I realize immediately I was like, oh, we put the English part in the front, so now this is where I'm gonna have to like really pay attention. And it's when I realize this is 3:30 in the morning. What am I doing? And so I I really like zoned in and started to to watch it and pay close attention to our boys here. As they begin to talk. So we've got Pitari and then we've got his friend. What's his friend's name again? Juso. Is that correct? Juso. Juso. Yes. Okay. With that rockin' mullet, by the way. Yes. I know. <laughs> well, and oh. Julia, that's a good point. I immediately thought, I was like, are we in like the Cold War 80s all of a sudden? Or is this? And then I realized like, no, this is modern time. Okay. Yeah, this is just yeah. Finland now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't know that Finland rocked the mullet still, but bravo. So we get that we get our two boys though. And what do you think of them just to start with and just start their whole little plight here? Oh, that they're going to get in trouble breaking into this super top secret and potentially they don't realize at the time messing up their father's livelihood for a few. I mean, no, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't look good from the get go. Um, Juso's a total jerk, by the way, and yeah. I I like Pietari personally. I, you know what perplexed me about him is they never explained his little. Dog? Yeah, that he carries around on the Her? strings. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that was, but they never explained it, and I kept expecting that to play. I thought it was like the gun on the mantelpiece, right? But it never was. And so, I don't know. I don't even know what it was. Um, yeah, I, uh. I was, I, I was hoping well, that one of you would be able to tell me what that thing was. 
I thought it might have been a reindeer, but it, his dad's business is killing reindeer, which doesn't seem like a, a healthy uh, pet <laughs> or whatever. Lovey. Yeah, I don't know. He acted like it protected him, too. So, it, like, I really thought they were going to do something with that and the Santas and or the elves and big demon horned Santa, but they didn't. The, cr- the Krampus wannabe. Yeah, oh, the Krampus He's actually he's actually a critter. Uh, well, he's actually a version of a critter called the Yule Goat. Oh, the Yule Goat. Yeah, yeah. I looked him up. Uh, his name is Jolupuki, which is a Finnish Christmas critter that's like the Yule Goat. It's basically a giant monster with goat horns that has, over time, become Santa Claus. Wow. Well, see, I, I agree with Julia that Juso is a complete jerk, and in horror movie rules, that means he should have died, kid or not. Like, oh, like he needed to yes. go down, at least as yeah, a sacrifice. Yeah, thank you. He needed to go, but little Patari, it like, comes of age in this movie, because he still believes in Santa Claus, sorta, but he gets a gun, like a shotgun from his dad, and he's supposed to grow up and, like, you know, fight the reindeer or whatever now, and he goes and reads his own, like, I don't know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer style history book about Santa Claus in the middle of this. And I love his line. I'm like, the Coca-Cola thing was a lie. You know, he's just totally destroyed by that. It's funny you mentioned Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because that's exactly what I thought of when he went home and started doing his research on this Santa Claus. I just thought of all the library scenes. I just needed Giles to go, this is what you're looking for. (laughs) But it would have to be like a finished Giles with like a mullet. Yes. Yes. Look, Anthony Stewart Head will appear in your show for very few heroes. He was in a Ghost Rider flick playing a monk. I mean, come on. You could have got him, but anyway. Uh, maybe if they remake it with a bigger budget, like Rare Exports 2, the re-exporting or the prime shipment day or whatever they come up with. Uh, there <laughs> is a Rare Exports 2. Oh, oh, we'll talk about that then. Save that because I was not aware of this. So, but anyway, back to our kids. I, I like Patari too, Julia. I thought he was, I thought he was cute. I didn't realize that was Rono, the actor's son until I looked it up later and I was like, oh, no wonder they have an yeah. interesting relationship. And they do kind of look alike, so there is that. They do, yeah. Yeah, the guy that plays Rono, I just wrote him down as, like, Finnish Brian Cranston, because he kind of looks like Walter <laughs> with a beard, you know. That's, like, the best description, I think, of him. When I looked at this document, I was like, look at that. Just nailing him, left and right. <laughs> He's absolutely a Finnish Brian Cranston. And as much as I like the actor, seeing I kind of wish Brian Cranston was a dad, now that you wrote that, because that would have brought this film to a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah. So so we got to get Brian Cranston for the American remake. That's Yes. It, yeah. and, and Aaron Paul's got to be one of the naked elf people. Because or else this is not right. Or, or he's the helicopter pilot that's not from the thing, but should be. Because is Lars from the thing. I'm telling y'all. <laughs> he does look like Lars from the thing, definitely. Yeah. But uh, to me, I thought Rauno was uh, um, Finnish Peter Krause, like from Six Feet Under. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I could totally see that. But, like, slightly filthy? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. definitely filthy. Kind of like any Jason Momoa film. Where you're like, yeah, (laughs) you're Aquaman, but absolutely filthy. (laughs) You're Aquaman and somehow still dirty under the water. Yeah. How does he pull that off? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it works for him. I'm not complaining. Hey, good work if you can get it. So, but no, we we get this, and I like the two local boys. They kind of argue and all this stuff. And we when we meet Rono, we see what he is, and that he's just a hardworking guy. And he realizes it's going to be a slim year. And I that's what I was going to ask you, Ron. You put in there that like because of all the reindeer death and carcasses and stuff, he's going to be eighty five thousand dollars in the hole. I read that as he was already eighty five thousand dollars in the hole, and this was going to try to get him out of it. And now he he can't. I mean, that's fair. I don't think that the reindeer business is like a great business. I think it's like any other kind of farming, but even somehow even more uh, determined by, you know, the the whims of Mother Nature, so to speak, because those aren't like domesticated reindeer. They're not like rounding up a bunch of cows. They're like catching these things and bringing them in to that electrified pen. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and nobody in this town seems to have any money. No. But they <laughs> but they've got helicopters and one guy is playing a department store Santa, not not Lars from the thing. It, it Moonlight says a department store Santa, which we'll find out about later. Because he comes over to help move the body. Um, which I, I didn't know what that trap was for at first. I didn't understand. And I went back and rewatched that scene and realized he was setting that to make sure if wolves came after the few carcasses he already had on hand, they wouldn't get to him. And I, well, I didn't catch that early. Well, well that's why uh, he's digging the pit, right? Right. Well, yeah. they, they, he, one of the things they say is that it's a wolf pit and that wolf pits are apparently illegal. Oh, okay. which is why. When uh, Piatari runs off to to the cops later in the movie, the dad is super concerned <laughs> that the kid is going to be like, "My dad set up a wolf pit and we caught Santa Claus." Because <laughs> not only is it a legal wolf pit, you've also like jammed spikes into some poor homeless man. Right. But let me ask y'all this: Am I to believe that when they pull that poor like again elf out of the the thing that looks like a, a skinny homeless man, that he doesn't bleed, that he sheds like cotton? Because there's this cotton everywhere. Like, is that what this movie's trying to tell me? Because that would be twisted. So maybe it's I like what? Notice that it's all over the spikes. Like when they're pulling it out, it's all this like feathering and cotton. And I thought, did it? I mean, you you're led to believe that like yeah. that could be wolf fur, but I took it as like this. Like when you cut the elves open, they just sort of <sighs> untassel, which is even weirder, right? So it would be like if you jammed a bunch of yeah. bunch of pencils and like elf on a shelf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. And let's face it, who hasn't wanted to do that before? Yes. Yes. Many times. <laughs> no, I, uh, I don't we know. had an uh, we had an elf in, uh, on the shelf in my workplace who ended up going to jail because <laughs> of his many oh crimes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that that's the setting off of everything though, because it, Rado doesn't want uh, Pitari to know what he's caught down there, so he keeps telling him to go back inside, and that's what he continues his research. I love how he, like, puts on his football helmet, and he's got on pads, and he's got something to cover his backside, and he tells his friend to put that on, too. And I'm like, he's got to cover all the bases. You never know where Santa's coming for you. So, <laughs> which was really creepy and weird it's all horrifying. of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this whole movie has a, has a, has a slight air of like uh, filthy weirdness to it. Well, it's like uh, it's the it's stranger danger all over because you see these el- this elf won't do anything while they're poking and prodding on him until the kid gets nearby and it's like boy meat. It's almost like it's it or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good comparison. Yeah. So, go ahead, Julie. Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, that's, it is very Pennywise. That's a good call on that one. Um, so as dirty as the movie does feel, and it does, and it's interesting, um, I hadn't thought about it until one of y'all had mentioned that there are no women in this movie. Yeah, I wrote that down. It's just a note. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an astute observation. I didn't even think about it until right now. Um, I, I kind of wonder if that's it, right? The it's the wilderness and it's this rough way of life. And these boys maybe act like they do because they don't have that female presence in their life. And the dad seems kind of desperate to, um, I like that he cooks the gingerbread and you can tell that that's some connection to Pietari's mom. And, you know, the husband obviously misses her and he misses her. And so I liked that kind of that childhood wanting and that fleshed the dad out for me as well. I really quite liked him as the dad. Um, in general, this movie is beautiful. It really, really is. The warm parts of it are very, very warm. And, like, the cool landscape shots are just gorgeous. So, well done, Norway. I mean, you're pretty. <laughs> I know it is a gorgeous set. And that's what I say, like, it, clearly Herlander's got control of his camera here. Because even in the tight shots inside, I don't feel like I'm on a set. I feel like I'm in a house out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I feel like I'm in a hunting yep. lodge that's just sort of become full-time home for these people. And that's not an easy thing to pull off. 
I mean, I mentioned it earlier. This movie reminds me of The Thing, but the way it's shot reminds me of a lot of John Carpenter's films, like Halloween and stuff like that, the cinematography. Mm-hmm. And that's like the highest compliment I could give this film because John Carpenter is an amazing director. But yeah, it looks it looks incredibly cold when they're outside, mm-hmm. but when they're inside, it looks like warm and cozy and and like cuddly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also, the gingerbread looks delicious. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely that, delicious. I wanted to know that after watching this. <laughs> there are moments I got real Christmas feelings from this film, like the inside step scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he's, I mean, he, uh, there's the sweetest moment is when he cuts the switch and is like, you need to punish me so that Santa won't take me away and eat me. I was like, oh. oh yeah. <laughs> this is so sweet and horrifying <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but as a kid who grew up in the South, that was just a, you go and cut your own. That was just part of life when I grew up. And I was like, oh man, this kid's like lining up for it. Like, no, 15 should do it. You know, and I'm like, man, this yeah. is, wow. But he's covering his bases, right? He's like, I just want to make sure that I am not on the naughty list. Yeah. Yep. Can we, well, talk, I mean, can we talk about Flynn's naughty list, by the way, too? That he's got like this little two-sided card of like no cursing, no smoking. No women, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so it's all the, you know, naughty list. It's almost like Santa's Ten Commandments or something that you don't break. It's very scary. <laughs> that was a very detailed list of, of things. There were, but like, pictures it, next to them, too. It was like a hazardous materials list. Yeah, that was the, like, if he seems like the only person who did his research on this whole thing as to what it would actually entail if you caught giant monster Santa Claus. Right. It, it was very detailed, and yet it left a lot open. Like, there are lots of ways you could be naughty that didn't fall on that list if you wanted to, uh, you know, take advantage <laughs> of some loopholes there. Look at you skirting the issue. You're like, hmm, if I was in this movie, how would I get around that? <laughs> yeah, how, how would I get around the all the heaters in town being stolen to unearth monster... Santa Claus, <laughs> or, Kramp- or Krampus. Okay, I was not expecting that, by the way. No. I I was flummoxed by the heater thing, and it was the hair dryer. They wanted us to get stuck on the hair dryer, right? right. Well, I got stuck on the hair dryer. I'm like, I don't know what, what these are working towards, but so it was a great surprise. I like being surprised by movies, and this one did it. Yeah. And I thought that that ended up paying off really well mm-hmm. in, in creating a really weird-looking setup. Because yeah. the moment they go into that hangar later in the flick, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what they're doing. And then you see what they're yeah. trying to dethaw, and it's like, oh, that that seems bad. Only punctuated <laughs> by the little again snacks of you know kid snacks for Santa to have once he wakes up because they know he's going to be hungry. So we got it's our <laughs> tribute. I almost felt like watching that though. I was watching like the Vavitch or Hereditary or something like that too. That I, I had gone into elevated horror for like two seconds. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's I mean it's it's a striking moment when you see that. It is, yeah. Yeah, and it's that's one of the weirdest things about this movie is that when it decides to be a horror movie, it's really unsettling because mm-hmm. we've already talked about the whole scene with um, the elf just making hungry eyes at Yatari, uh, <laughs> and then later on you see all these all the heat devices just churning like you can almost see like steam coming off of uh the giant frozen santa Mm -hmm. and just you don't really see much detail of santa or what he looks like under there but all you see are the two giant horns and that's really all you need to see to know that this thing is is terrible yeah yeah the fact that that comes after you get a scene of like a horde of naked elves charging violent violently at this hangar is like (laughs) that is CGI too, and I gotta tell you, for a cheap movie or a movie made on the cheap, that's pretty good looking computer graphics to have. And they look like a herd of elk, like they turn on a dime, you know, yep. and coming at those people. And I mean, it's, it's fully animated. And I, I, at first I thought, are, are they all wearing low end cloths? Nope, they're not. And, nope. Oh, and, <laughs> nope. Oh, budget did not allow. No, I was like, Wow, we made a choice for that. <laughs> and, 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 well, they were going for the horror element. 
Uh, it worked. So um, yeah. I'm with, I'm with <laughs> Anthony, though, when you said earlier that this reminded you of the way Carpenter shot films. Not showing us the whole Santa monster is exactly like a John Carpenter or early Spielberg thing or whatever. Is you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to show all of it. You just tease enough of it to know like that is going to be a real problem if it gets loose. Mm-hmm. The naked people are already a problem. They can bite steel brooms in half. And they, they, again, now you've ruined Eric Carmen for me, by the way, Ron, with that Hungry Eyes line. <laughs> so I'll never listen to that song the same again. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, but doing that, and I'm like, man, I, you don't know what's going to happen. You're right, though, Ron. When this movie decides to be a horror movie, it is great at it. But when it decides to just be a... I don't know, a simple little family bonding together drama. It kind of works on that level too. Yeah. They, they really have, um, all the, the parent children relationships and the friend relationships all feel really like lived in. There's some, mm-hmm. there feels like there's some sort of backstory there that we're not seeing, but that you can kind of feel in the way that the characters interact with each other. And it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense that you said, you know, uh, Piatari and his dad are actual father and son, mm. but like Piatari and Juso feel like real friends yeah. or like real acquaintances. They don't exactly get along, but there's not, there's only like five other kids in town, so it's not like they got a lot of choice. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you know, this are, go ahead, Ed. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say this movie, like the horror elements and the family elements aside, just reminded me very much of one of the old school, like Brothers Grimm type fairy tales, the way yeah. it was um, yes. captured. And I think that, uh, sorry, that's my Christmas clock going off in the background. <laughs> <laughs> just color um, for the podcast. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> I, um,. And I think it takes a really talented writer and director to blend the fairy tale elements of the horror elements of the action elements of the family elements. And they did so in a way it all felt natural and they mm. didn't feel like it was jumping genre to genre. They blended it really well together. Mm-hmm. That's a credit to all the behind the scenes talent. Yeah. The mm-hmm. way it all sews together is, is really nice. And um, I think you, you've nailed it until you that there is a lived in quality to the relationships, particularly between Rono and Pilaparanen and Amo, their friend who comes in kind of late. And he's the one that knows enough English to kind of get by. So they have him on the radio going like, Americans, we have your Santa Claus, you know, and I'm like, well, now it's a kidnapping <laughs> movie. So it's, it's, the, you know, the perfect plan or whatever. We've, our simple plan is what I thought of. And I thought, man, we've, we've got everything in this movie. That's a, that's a, that's a great pull with a simple plan. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, they do have, they do have that relationship and that's, that's why it's another reason I noted that there are no female characters in this at all, because generally in a movie like this, you would write one in there to kind of be the piece that would tie between them. Like it was the ex-wife of one of them and that had run with the other one or something like that. You'd have something mm. you have any of that in this movie. And I don't know if it would have made it any better. I just made a note that like, I wonder why that was a choice they made, but they've done a good job of balancing out our characters. Cause most of it is on this kid. And for a kid actor, he does a good job of carrying the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it needed. I don't think it needed any women in it. Um, again, like I, I, I really didn't think about it until minutes ago that there weren't any. So I definitely wasn't lacking from it. I think there is a really nice, fresh heart to the movie without having that kind of just pre-populated. Oh, there's a mom character. She's mm-hmm. gonna put some heart in this. They decided to go almost the hard road and say, no, we're going to show a father and a son relationship. And and I love a father son relationship movie. I think and that's, that's a homage. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Go. Uh, that's an homage to a lot of Christmas movies, right? They focus on the father and son aspect. Mm-hmm. Elf, the Santa Claus, uh, National Lampoon even. like. Yeah. So that was a nice callback to more traditional Christmas films. Father and son relationships seem very important in these holiday movies mm-hmm. i agree and i think it's neat how all of the men take responsibility for each other's kids in some way like they know each other mm-hmm. they have conversations about it and these men are when you know patari gets in there finally they're like no we're not gonna let this weird thing get anywhere near you and they all you know, put their life on the line for him it felt it felt very real and very honest it was there was very much a sense of community out in the middle of darn nowhere 
where you're expanse of miles before you can see somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is based on the fact that they are mm-hmm. literally in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Like, my understanding is once they cro- go across that fence, they're in <laughs> Russia. Yeah. Am I mistaken? <laughs> No, I think you're right. That's where I got my red dawn That's the, hope from. So. <laughs> That's and the impression is, I got. Yeah, and this is not like an easy life for anybody. This is like the worst parts of like the Wild West plus the worst parts of like Alaska without the benefit of a gold rush to like make it financially <laughs> worth your while. So you're going up <laughs> yeah. to a, a, a frozen hellhole. And you're <laughs> working really hard on the land, and you're barely scraping by. Yeah. So it makes sense that all these guys are like, it takes a village not just to raise your kids, but it takes a village not to to freeze to death yeah. in the winter. Yeah, and and then <laughs> right. when you throw in like evil Santa and his crazy elves who are you know going to be loosed upon the earth because again. German scientist, Raiders of the Lost Ark, not John Hammond, wants to dig him up for some reason. Do we ever understand why Riley wants to dig him up? Is it so he can make sure it's real and then put him back on ice? Or is he trying to, I don't know, move up the the devil chain or something? I don't know why he wants to let this thing loose. They they never quite give you a reason why, other than I think, uh, you know, the finger thing means the money. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of financial gain to be had. But I don't know what that could possibly be by unleashing uh, demon Krampus Santa on the world. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get that at all. But it's not explained. But you know what? It's actually it's okay that it's not. I'm just asking because I I kept waiting. I I knew he was dead meat because I was like, well, obviously you started this, so you're going down. You know, so how, how are you going to get it? I didn't expect you to get you a tomahawk from an elf in the head, but okay, I'll take it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I, I I jumped at that. That was a that was a really good jump scare. <laughs> so, what did y'all make of the ultimate end of this, where Patari convinces these men, let's put all of the sack children in the helicopter bag, and that'll lead the crazy elves to your ranger pen? It's pretty clever, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's it's just a big old bag of bait. And I will say that the it was already mentioned, but the visuals of those bodies running through the woods yeah. in that fashion, like you said, they could turn on a pin, was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it was great. I'm kind of upset they blew up Ice Santa. I was hoping they would thaw him out and we would get a sequel with that guy versus Krampus. <laughs> <laughs> That's that shot on on Rano when he hits the button or whatever. That's when I came up with finish Brian Cranston. This is like that looks like yo old Walt blowing up blowing up you know the cartel or whatever you know. At some point it's really bad, you know. But y'all answer me this though: Is he when he's riding away in the back of that truck? It looks like he sawed off Santa's horns because he's like, look, I'm hanging this on the wall. Or something. Did I miss he, that? He oh, did absolutely. Them okay, I thought like no, of, he did solve them all. Of course, the game hunter would keep a trophy. So <laughs> most definitely. Yeah. That's I mean, a that's, good explosion the, too. Yeah. yeah, the the explosion looked great, and that's that's not the kind of rack you just believe to get blown up. That's like you mount that on the outside of your house so the world knows it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So, <laughs> People are going to fly over like, what? I don't even want to know, you know, so, and see what that is. But no, and, and to that point, I did look at one thing. That explosion, y'all, it's a little enhanced on the fireside. That was a practical effect. So bravo for practical effects again. You're making a comeback. After nice. We did, yeah, good CGI stuff, but they did a practice. They blew up that warehouse, and I thought, well, that looks really good. It's a lot of good gasoline in that. <laughs> but I, I thought the same thing. I thought Batari was going to sacrifice himself, too, but... He's not. It's all just a, just the ruse. Because once Santa's dead, all the elves just kind of stop. Sort of like the, I don't know, all the robots in mm-hmm. Phantom Menace. Once you blow up the mothership, they're just done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So, so I, I never actually thought he was going to sacrifice himself. And that purely because there was there were such warm scenes early on in the film. I thought they were going to go for the more. I had a feeling they'd go for the more uh, cliche happy ending with him. Honestly, but I do kept, you think I he was willing to sacrifice himself? 
I, like I the think intent was, was there where he would have. I think he was I willing, but but it's kind of like, and I'm going to reference another Christmas film too, so it's kind of like in Krampus where Max uh, confronts Krampus at the pit saying, take me, yeah. bring my family back. That's the kind of vibe mm-hmm. I was getting. And because he was willing to sacrifice himself, they let him off the hook. Mm-hmm. Now, is that uh, Piatari's Linus moment, or has he always had that spirit in him? <laughs> Ooh, good question. Julia, what do you think? Oh, I think it's a total Linus moment. Even if he has always had the spirit in him, I think that's when he grew up. Yeah. You know, like the final moment of him growing up. Although I'll argue that he he was more grown up the whole movie than everybody else gave him credit for because he's the one that figured it all out. And he was pretty chill in those high intense situations like (laughs) in the warehouse with all of the heaters. I mean, he had his crap together. But um, I think it was a Linus moment. I would totally call that a Linus moment. I agree. It passes a Linus test. (laughs) (laughs) And then we get what I can only explain is the strangest coda ending I've run across in a long time in a movie where (laughs) I thought, thought, like, I had the movie had ended, I had dozed off and, like, it flipped to something else, and I was watching, like, an episode of Prison Break or something all of a sudden. (laughs) All these dudes, or Oz had come on, you know, whatever. You got all these dudes being hosed off. And it's only after a minute do I realize they've got little dolls and gotten them petting them and everything. It's like they're they're training them not to bite the children like they're wild animals or something. <laughs> what is this? That is so weird. This ending. I mean, what else are you gonna do with a bunch of bearded elves? They're training them to become ball Santos. So I'm gonna say I liked this movie up until that last scene. And after the last scene, I loved this movie. (laughs) That last scene was like the most perfect ending. It was so bizarre. And the logo of the Rare Exports logo was just so perfect and like beautiful. And I, my fists in the air, I was like, yes, (laughs) this crazy ending is absolutely perfect. I was literally sitting there shocked at what I was seeing, and I realized, like, wait a minute, this whole movie has taken a lot of digs at the commercialism of Christmas, so of course it has to end with, like, our heroes going, yep, we're selling out. (laughs) No, I'm with Julia. I loved loved the ending. I thought the ending was... It was funny to me. It was so funny and so clever, and... I I just thought it was very clever that they decided to, you know export all of them out to malls around the world and <laughs> I mean, I mean it's want twisted their own Santa. <laughs> I mean my, my right. last question is you think you can get prom shipping on one of those I just you know I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to purchase all your feral Santas through Ebay's is, is that it feral yeah. Santa feral feral Santa <laughs> so we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts recommendations and popcorn ratings and for our guests Anthony and Julia the bigger the popcorn the better the film what are your ratings for Rare Exports Anthony I'm teetering between a large and an extra large Ooh, I really am I really like this film if I could go somewhere between the two I'd put it there but uh yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised for the, by this film. And, uh, you know, we host the Christmas podcast, too. So at some point, I'm looking forward to covering it on our show with uh, Tom present. And we may have to have you guys on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Julia, what about you? Large popcorn with extra salt and butter. Nice. <laughs> Ron, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with the large popcorn, but uh, instead of just extra salt and butter, I'm going to throw some uh, some Whoppers or some chocolate-covered peanuts in there. Because, oh. because like, when you do that with a, with a big tub of popcorn, you take a bite, you never really know what you're going to get. So it's always kind of like a nice surprise. You get the sweet, you get the salty, you get the nice crunch, you get that uh, kind of savory peanut taste. And that's kind of, to me, what this movie feels like it's a like a handful of delicious terrible for you movie theater butter popcorn <laughs> with uh <laughs> some extra goodies inside because it's like you know like anthony said it's kind of like or i think it was anthony uh said it was kind of like a fairy tale yeah yep yeah. yeah and and like a fairy tale it's got a lot of elements that 
you may not necessarily look at them and think they'll go together. So it's really satisfying, like a kind of like a popcorn with like some whoppers or something thrown in. Very cool. Well, I'm going to join you in the large popcorn fiesta here, gang. I think this is totally worth your time. And in spite of the fact that you have to read three-fourths of it on the screen, go for it. It's still fun. You can totally follow it. And I would be down to see another one. And I, yeah, this is large popcorn territory. It's a real fun surprise. I'm glad I got to, to see it. So what, what's Rare Exports 2? Anybody got any news on that? It's called uh, Rare Exports Inc. Safety Instructions. Wow. Well, that's got to be about when one of them gets delivered to the Mall of America or something like that, and then hijinks ensue. So. It's probably literally gremlins. <laughs> yeah. Somebody doesn't pay attention to Mr. Miyagi's instructions. And, uh... <laughs> Hoyt, Hoyt Axton has to come in and save the day with the bathroom body. Also, for your listeners, I know Mr. Miyagi was a karate kid, and I, as that came out of my mouth, I realized... <laughs> it's okay, we all know. <laughs> well, Anthony and Julia, thank you for being a part of this special episode of Filmstrip. Again, tell folks about Tiz the Podcast and how they can find your show. So, you can find Tiz the Podcast anywhere you find your podcasts. Um, and if you want to follow us on any of our social medias, Tom was awesome and set up a cool link where you can just go to tizthepodcast.com backslash fill in your social media here. So, backslash Instagram, backslash Twitter, any of those places. We really love to chat um, online as well as in person. So, Anthony, I'm going to speak for you just a second. Thank you guys so much for inviting us on here. We had so much fun. We really did. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. We'll definitely do this again uh, for sure. And so hope to catch up with you guys. Ron, tell folks how they can find your writing and things on the Internet. You can find me, as always, at denofgeek.com and denofgeek.us. I will have just finished up uh, American Horror Story by the time this comes out, and I will be in a break between part seasons of The Walking Dead, and I'm sure I'll get up to some other fun things, too. So uh, I try to keep things interesting. Thanks, folks, again for listening to this episode. You can find our archives on our webpage, filmstrippodcast.com. Please leave us a positive review wherever you find the show. You can follow the show on Twitter at filmstrippod or search filmstrippodcast on Facebook to connect with us there. We would appreciate it if you'd share the show, and thank you again for your support. So for Ron and Anthony and Julia from Tis the Podcast, I'm Jay. Happy holidays from everyone here at Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.